0: Join me, Jacqueline Coley, on a brand new podcast, Seen on the Screen, presented by Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes. Meet the innovative people at NBC Universal as they share their journeys, inspirations, and the movies that shape them. Each episode is an intimate and fun conversation about the impact of film. Seen on the Screen is available now. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
2: Hello everyone and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong for a super special episode that's going to be hearkening back to a former Spider-Man and we're also going to be talking about the current Spider-Man and we're going to be doing that with a great guest and as always Jacqueline Coley is joining me. Jacqueline, do you want to talk about how your team's in the playoffs or do you just want to talk about how great you and I both are at Wordle, the new sensation (laughs) that is sweeping internationally?
0: Actually, I want to talk about Wordle. I don't want to talk about football. Like I said, supporting the Green Bay Packers right now makes you feel like you need a shower afterwards. But Wordle is the bomb.com. Thank you for shouting me out that you joined it. I love that game so much. I, do, like, I will be the last person on it. Wordle is about to be by MySpace. I will be there past when anybody else thinks it's cool. I don't care. I love those. I love those puzzles. Five, five letters and it helps mind.
2: Well, see, I downloaded an app that said Wordle. And so I've just been playing like Wordle nonstop. And I'm like, how are people tweeting this? Why is everybody saying this is the one Wordle? And then Ash Crossan, our friend, sent me the actual Wordle that's only once a day from the UK. And so now I'm playing that one. And that's when you get to tweet. But I'm still practicing Wordle on the side a little bit. And I don't want to brag, but I have to say this. Words with friends. I've been playing it against my mom for years. My mom kicks my ass routinely. I beat her four times in a row. I am feeling ah, it. Oh, I see. this is the way
0: for you to level up with mom.
2: This is this is how I get my revenge with that Wake Forest University degree that's gathering dust in the <laughs> closet. His words with friends. We have a friend joining us today. We usually have friends, and we also have a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that we're going to be talking about. It may not be the current Spider-Man, but we may get to that Spider-Man because there's a whole lot of Spider-People in the new movie Spider-Man No Way Home. That movie will be spoiled, by the way. If you listen to this episode and you haven't seen No Way Home, we're going to be talking about some of the plot points in that as we are with the movie that we're here to discuss today, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Quick refresher. That's the one with Andrew Garfield and a whole bunch of villains. Came out in 2014, directed by, accurately titled, Mark Webb. And the movie, 52% on the tomato meter. So that is in rotten territory. I like to call it fresh adjacent, Jacqueline, but it is rotten. Now, it does have a fresh audience score of 64%, so... Sixty-four percent audience, fifty-two percent of the Tomato Meter. I want to give a shout out to a couple fans who really, really, really wanted us to do this episode, and that would be Edgar Dionicio and Nicholas Bayfield. They said, "Hey, talk about Amazing Spider-Man Two. It's a perfect time to, because Spider-Man No Way Home still in theaters." And with that, we welcome in the co-creator of the World Girls show. You can catch her live daily on Live at the Roxy. She is a returning champion to the Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong show. Roxy Stryer, have you ever been more excited to be on the show talking about a movie than with The Amazing Spider-Man 2?
3: No, no, I've never been this excited. The, the text message I received from producer Lucy asking, is there any chance you want to talk about Amazing Spider-Man 2? I have been waiting I, I, before the movie even came out, I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to be this excited about anything, ever. This is, I, I was born to do this. I'm not even kidding you guys. I just, I, you'll you'll hear, you'll find out. Oh my gosh. Yep, wow. I'm here. I'm ready.
2: All right. Um, do you have an inkling as to whether Rotten Tomatoes is right or wrong about that score? 52%, which is rotten, Roxy.
3: This is the worst that the critics have ever done ever in life rotten tomatoes is so (laughs) wrong on this one i think that we are wrong by by we're off by almost 40 points like we are so so wrong on this one that i think everybody should get their critic card revoked and you should have to take some kind of test so that i know that you are a person able to watch movies if that's what you think that this score should be
2: This rewatch was fantastic for me because back in 2014, Jacqueline, when I was reviewing this movie with my Schmoes no cohort, Christian Harloff, I distinctly remember liking the movie and giving it a fresh review. I think I gave it like three and a half out of five Schmoes. So watching it now with the lens that I have today, I still don't think it's a terrible movie, but I think that 52% is pretty much right on board. I wouldn't hate it. If it limped into fresh territory, like 60%. So I might go between the audience score and the tomato meter for this. So some quick math. That'd be what? 58% is what I'll say. So it's just, just, just short of fresh. In my opinion, what say you?
0: Uh, Ready to load up uh, everyone listening? I'm going to load up the hot take cannon real quick because this movie is trash. And I haven't said that, I think, since the last time Roxy's Trier was here, but I watched it again. And it is a testament to his acting and ability that Andrew Garfield has a film like this on his filmography, and is probably gonna waltz his way into an Oscar this year because, oh my God, is this bad? Like, it's embarrassingly bad in dialogue, in plotting, in physics and sense like believability, like there's nothing about the Spider-Man that makes sense to me as a viewer, as a lover of Spider-Man and as a person who uses the English language. Oh my God, is this bad? And no, it should not be 52% because that would make this movie by critic and tomato meter standards better than the Eternals. Which is still an injustice that that movie is rated as low. It is sunk even lower. It is now forty-seven percent, and you, I cannot live in a world. I cannot live in a world where this movie is rated higher than that than Constantine. I knew, so many I knew other that other Constantine was done. coming. I knew I'm it. I'm done. I'm done with this movie. It's bad.
2: Oh, this is going to be fun. I love when Producy Lucy lets me play referee between somebody who loves a movie and somebody who hates a movie. And look, but I, I also think that my take, my meh take on Amazing Spider Man 2 is a strong take. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about the movie, some behind the scenes stuff, and how some of the characters from Amazing Spider Man 2 we maybe have seen recently and how we felt about that and more. Coming up in just a bit, but first, Jacqueline, you get to give us the synopsis. What is Amazing Spider-Man 2 about and how great is Rhino?
3: Yes, Uh, Jacqueline, please tell us all about the movie, the amazing movie. Oh my God. I'm sorry, Roxy.
2: I don't want the the listeners to get a spin on this because Jacqueline might have a slight tinge of negativity when giving a synopsis. I'm ready.
0: Actually, I'm not even going to be negative because I don't want to pain everyone through it. Listen, Peter Parker is back, played by Andrew Garfield. His girlfriend's Gwen Stacy, the most surprised valedictorian in the history of valedictorians. It's almost like she didn't know she was the valedictorian. His uh, her dad told him last movie, stay away from my daughter. He listened to that for all of no seconds. And he's back to trying to solve the mystery of his his father's death. And we've added every villain possible. We've got Electro. We've got Green Goblin. We've got Rhino for reasons beyond sense. I think Paul Giamatti owed Mark Webb money. It's the only reason why I could <laughs> think that he was in this film. But look, Harry Osborn dies. Peter Parker is trying to figure out whether or not he's going to be able to be Spider-Man and have a life. Uh, you know, now we have Harry Osborn taking the Green Goblin mantle and all of this is happening while, you know, Peter Parker is trying to be a p- post high school teen. There's a whole, whole bunch of very confusing stuff having to do with Peter Parker's backstory, but needless to say, it all results into a... Huge uh, villain fight towards the end that results in Gwen Stacy dying, proving yet once again that Peter Parker should have just listened to Dennis Leary and stay away from the girl. But he didn't, (laughs) therefore killing her and ending this franchise, thankfully, so that we could go and get Tom Holland. (laughs)
2: Cheers, cheers. <laughs> I, I, when I left the theater, I was on board. I was like, give me another one with Andrew Garfield. Let's see what the critics had to say at the time of the release, way back when we were all in high school in 2014. This is our segment Two Minutes with Tim, courtesy of expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan. Take it away.
1: Two Minutes with Tim. Superhero movies have to pull off a tricky balancing act between soaring adventures and a more down-to-earth human factor. And a lot of critics said that while Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone gave The Amazing Spider-Man 2 a beating heart, the actual superhero stuff was a bit too messy and overblown. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is rotten at 52% on the Meter with 312 reviews, and it has a 64% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Lisa Kennedy of the Denver Post wrote, The trouble with director Mark Webb's disappointing sequel is that it wants to have it both ways, to take seriously human connection and loss, and also spin the spectacular and pulpy. Spider-Man 2 never locates that sweet spot. However, in a fresh review, Jocelyn Novak of the Associated Press wrote, Garfield is a sensitive actor who brings a quirky blend of intelligence and goofiness to Peter Parker. As for Stone, she's just so darn charming. The Rotten Tomatoes Critics' Consensus reads, While the cast is outstanding and the special effects are top-notch, the latest installment of the Spidey saga suffers from an unfocused narrative and an overabundance of characters. So that's The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark. Wealth and fame, they've ignored. Podcasting is their reward. Back to you, folks.
2: You are very accurate, as always, Tim Ryan. And before we get into movie talk, uh, Producer Lucy, I want to bring you in here because I know you're a big Spider-Man fan. How excited were you to tell Roxy the news that she could come onto the show to do Amazing Spider-Man 2? That must have been a a fun moment.
0: Oh, I was very excited. I I, I had remembered that she was on our very first episode, Spider-Man 3, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Which is still one of our best performing episodes. So when I found out that she actually loved this movie, I was very giddy. I think I squealed um, embarrassingly, but yeah, no, uh, it was perfect. I feel like it's a good, like full circle moment for us here today, you know? All right, let's
2: complete the circle of love and of life with movie talk. let's get into it i don't know that anybody would argue this is the best spider-man movie of all time maybe maybe roxy will i don't know but this movie for what it was at the time again 2014 it was coming off of this reboot that really felt oh very similar to the sam Raimi spider-man and so we're like well how are we really separating ourselves and then the sequel comes out and a lot like spider-man 3 the amazing spider-man 2 just threw so many villains at you right out of the gate What, for my take, this movie does well is not the villain aspect of it at all. I love the interpersonal relationships. I love seeing Peter Parker and Harry Osborn try to reconnect. The relationship between Gwen and Peter, that was really the strength of the movie for me. Um, Roxy, I think that the emotions in this film get subterfuged by all the other craziness happening on screen. But I really think that's crucial to the movie and why I like it so much. What about this movie to you? Is there like a specific scene you can point to and say that right there, that's why Amazing Spider-Man 2 is so underrated?
3: Yeah, I feel like critics say this very pretentious line about superhero movies all of the time where they will say, it was a fine movie, but it's not a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and it's like, if it has Spider-Man in it, it's a Spider-Man movie, bro. That's a Spider-Man <laughs> movie. If Spider-Man's in it, it's Spider-Man movie. So this movie got a lot of heat for really focusing on the love story element of it. But guess what? I'm a lover of love, a shipper of ships. If you're going to throw me a beautiful love story with passionate chemistry, then that's what I'm going to glob onto. And it's still going to be a Spider-Man movie because it's featuring Spider-Man. So there's my favorite scenes in this movie have to do with Spidey and Gwen. And one of the best scenes is the one where he... Web, I loves you over the bridge. How are you not going to just like melt your soul into that? She's going away. And he he takes her in his arms, 3,000 miles high. I don't know how high a bridge is. It can't be that high. 300 high. Yeah. feet high, however high they are up there. And he says, wherever you go, I'll go. I, I love you. And we we think in that moment, they're going to do it. They're going to make this work. They're going to be together for somehow, some way. Amazing Spider-Man 3 is going to be in England. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. But like in my soul, I knew that's what was going to take place. He says, you're my path. You're always going to be my path. I'll follow you there. How do you want more from a movie than that? It's like the most beautiful love story of all time. And it's still a Spider-Man love story with Gwen Stacy. Perfect. Perfect moment. Perfect scene. You
1: give me message.
0: What message? A message over there. Oh that? I was you.
1: Don't do that. I could make it out. I'll tell you what it says. It says I love you. Cause I love you. And no offense, but you're wrong. Is wrong about me. You're wrong about us being on different paths. We're not on different paths. You're my path. And you're always gonna be my path. And I know there's a million reasons why we shouldn't be together. I know that. But I'm tired of them. I'm tired with every single one of them. We've all got to make a choice, right? Why choose you?
2: Got that scholarship to Oxford, and she's going. She's going to full bore. Is Spider-Man going to follow it? Now, look, I will say this. If you go to London, really all Spider-Man needs to do to be Spider-Man is be in a city with a lot of tall buildings so he can do his web shooting. There's Big Ben. There's the Tower of London. There's a lot of stuff that you can web off of in London. So if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not watching it, you are missing a show right now. Because as Roxy's describing this, I'm having a blast watching Lucy literally make a heart with her hands and watching the amount of eye roll from Jacqueline I have not seen since I woke up this morning and Molly the Wonder Dog gave me the same exact look. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Jacqueline, you don't think this is the greatest love story of all time.
0: No. And Spider-Man doesn't think it's the greatest love story of all time. Gwen Stacy was always a side chick in the way, and the (laughs) only thing that elevated her was her death. Okay? Sorry, Emma. I know that you and Andrew were great, and you had amazing chemistry both on and off screen. Not trying to diss on that, but... It's just it's the idea that they jammed this in there. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, I think, the third X-Men movie where it's like, okay, I see you guys are trying to set up stuff. But Gwen Stacy dying, the way that storyline plays out, first of all, doesn't work as well when you haven't really introduced MJ. So they've already taken away half of the reason why that storyline worked. It was a weird choice to have her be the lead interest i think they mostly did that just to not look like they were being a complete crash uh cash grab when they rebooted the series five years after the first one they wanted to try and make it different but they really didn't even give it the start with the love triangle so she got shortchanged all the way through let's let's be honest and keep it real and uh, yeah it's not the greatest love story everybody was sitting there being like but where's mj But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than
1: that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
2: It's it's funny because I wasn't wondering where MJ was, and I did take that casting of Emma Stone is playing Gwen Stacy as opposed to Kirsten Dunst playing... Mary Jane, the love interest in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, I kind of looked at that as just like the studio being, hey, we need to separate ourselves. We know it's a different Spider-Man. We're going to have some different villains, but we need to put somebody else in. Let's do the Gwen Stacy angle instead of the Mary Jane angle. Now, if you look at Amazing Spider-Man 2, a lot of the headlines are Jamie Foxx is Electro and Paul Giamatti is Rhino and Dane DeHaan is the Goblin. but. My favorite parts, and and I'll give Roxy credit on this, re-watching it this week, were those just quiet, intimate, funny, young love moments between Gwen and Peter. And the one, it's not like the I love you in webs. It's not when they're at graduation and he sees her dead dad staring daggers at him, who's reminding him, hey, I told you, get away from my daughter. It is, there's a moment where Gwen is being chased by security at At the at Oscorp and she's she's running around and she's trying to um, uh, get away from these people who are on to her because now she's on to what is happening at the building. So she has to hide in a closet and who shows up to help her into the closet? It's Peter. And they've already broken up but now they're not really broken up, so it's a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing. And it's just such a fun, romantic comedy kind of moment that that I really enjoyed watching their interplay and their chemistry is the highlight of this movie for me. It has nothing to do with the... And I love me some Jamie Foxx. It has nothing to do with any of the villains. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. This
1: is the maintenance closet. Gwen. This is the most cliched hiding place you could have chosen. This, oh, is, I'm this sorry. is the stupidest hiding I didn't place.
0: Take us to the Bahamas of listen,
1: hiding places. Listen, I gotta talk to you about England, I guess, because I don't. Huh. You just kissed me. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I
2: couldn't help it. How'd you like it? And so maybe that is more towards Jacqueline's side where like I came to see a Spider-Man movie and the best part of it was this like, you've got male relationship between Gwen and Peter. That was the best part of the movie for me. What? Um, Spider-Man
3: can't be happy. He can't I, fall I, in love. Like he Spider-Man can't live his happy. life believably yes he can't have a meet cute he can't have these moments where he's in the closet with his girl and they and they were and they won't and and they pretend that they can't be together If they wanted to do
0: that, every, every romantic comedy has taught this from the wedding planner to the latest romantic comedy to hit Netflix. You gotta have a triangle. There has to be the dynamic. By deleting MJ, Mary Jane Watson, by taking her out of that, they completely ruined the actual part of it. The only real, you would say, tension between these two is the fact that he's Spider-Man and her dad said to keep away. And because both of those things are roundly ignored throughout most of the narrative, it removes it. This movie is bad and doesn't know where it's going because it doesn't know where it's going. And this is evident by all of the dangling plot holes, like the opening of the movie with the parents. So good. Where was that going? And then then Andrew Garfield standing in front of his like Charlie Day with the like red strings, like here's my family's picture and I'm gonna figure it out. And then we just ignore that for the rest, of this, the rest of the movie. That just stopped. The movie, I guarantee you that Mark Webb could write a Josh Trank style tweet talking about there's a beautiful Spider-Man movie that we wanted to make and that's not what you get in theaters, but what we got is a jumbled up mess. Like, just tie together the plot outside of Gwen and Peter and you know that this movie didn't know or care where it was going.
2: Let me ask you this, Roxy. Do you? F- I don't find there to be a single hole. Do you feel like this movie is shortchanged by not having a sequel? Do you feel like they were trying to set some stuff up in this movie that they just didn't get a chance to capitalize on? Where it's like, oh, well, we would have made that. We would have answered that question in the third one, but we never got there.
3: It can't be a feeling, Mark. That has to be a fact, right? There's no way. They've talked about this, that there definitely was going to be a third movie. We set up for a third movie. We clearly are hinting at Sinister Six. There's a lot of plans that they had for the future that we never got to get to. But even with all of that, This was a full, complete movie. When you think about the fact that there there isn't this love triangle, which, by the way, really toxic trope that I would love for us to steer away from in rom-coms. But in this movie, there is a love triangle element. And it is the fact that they can't be together because it is too dangerous for her. And guess what? His worst nightmare comes through. It was too dangerous for her. She dies. And the fact that this this movie was willing to go there... Unlike any other Spider-Man movie, yes, we've had some extreme losses in Spider-Man movies, but this being the biggest one, the love of your life is dead. The, the movie said, listen, we're going to set up a scenario and we're going to say they can't be together because if they are, something really bad's going to happen. And then they ignore that they can't be together and something really bad happens. That's follow through. That's not a loose end. That's a tied boat.
2: I'll give you that. I will give you that all day because that's my other favorite scene. And it's morbid and I'm sorry, but it is so well done is the death scene. I'm not rooting for Gwen to eat it. I want Gwen to to live and go to London and have a great career. But the the, the fight scene in question where we have Spider-Man and he's battling bad guys and then Gwen falls and she's falling. And we've seen this a thousand times where Spider-Man is going to sling his web and he's going to save her just in the nick of time and it's going to feel like a nice easy bungee jump down to the surface but he just doesn't quite get there in time and it's the sound kids I can still hear it in my head it's the sound of the skull hitting the concrete and you're just like ooh, ooh. she is at least going to be in the concussion protocol and it turns out they had to cart her off the field Jacqueline because she Was dead. That didn't do anything to you emotionally? Were you already checked out by that time? It absolutely
0: did. It absolutely did something for emotionally. I'm not trying to say that it isn't. That's a P.F. Chang's dinner, but we could have had no boo. (laughs) As I'll say this again from my Witcher episode, it's not bad. It's an Outback Steakhouse, but we could have had, you know, the nicest steakhouse in town. You know what I mean? Like Del Frisco style we We missed it because this is the, let's think about it this way. Here's the what if which is what they were setting up. Imagine Peter does walk away and he tries to date Mary Jane Watson and he tries to leave Gwen alone. But even though he tries to leave her alone because she's still in his uh, periphery, parental world, she still dies. And he realizes that anybody that he is close to in any way, whether it be he tried to do the right thing and she still died, that real separation like if he really like let her go because let's be honest he never let her go throughout the movie and actually did try to move on and then gets devastated and then it kills his idea of ever wanting to be with mary jane that's the way you want to start a third spider-man then we get a a whole skyfall type spider-man
2: i'll give you that Because, Roxy, you got to admit, Peter does not do a good job of actually staying away from Gwen at all. Like he's like he's like me when I order pizza and I'm by myself and I have like a couple slices of pizza and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Or it's like the pie that Jacqueline made for me for Christmas, which is gone, by the way, now. And I had (laughs) two slices of pie the first night. I got it. And then I was like, all right, I'm putting it away. And then I kept going back to the pie and I could not (laughs) resist going back to the pie. Peter Parker could have done a better job of actually letting Gwen Stacy be. And it feels like Gwen was going to be doing just fine. I think that Peter kind of, the guy's responsible for her death. But is that kind of an appeal to you, Roxy, that now it's this darker superhero that has all of this, this, this track record of sadness and gloom around him?
3: I think in the words of my girl, Gwen, Mark, Nobody makes my decisions for me. And that's the stronger choice in this movie. I am so sick of watching Lois Lane over and over and over again. Superman got to come save her. Nope, there she is in the water. Aquaman's got to come help her. Nope, Lois just can't do anything. Just woe is me, Lois Lane. And I I have a lot of love for Lois, but I don't want to see her again. And I don't want to watch Gwen be Lois. I want to watch her to say things like, Nobody makes decisions for me. I make my own decisions. I'm a a grown woman. And she chooses to come back. He webs her hand to a car. And she says, no, I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to be here. We're a team. That's not him deciding anything for her. Yes, he wants to be with her. And he's deciding for himself that that's his choice. But then as a grown adult, she's saying, my choice is to be with you. That's what that's what a mature love is. That's what it should be. We shouldn't be watching these superhero movies and rooting for these love stories where the superhero gets to decide we're together or we're not together because they have powers. Isn't a relationship based on two people making a, a consensual choice
0: together? I think it is two people making a consensual choice together. I'm not trying to say that that isn't, but let's be honest. He never really makes a choice. He's just one foot in, one foot out the whole movie. He speaks, oh, I love you. We're together and we're a team. And then the whole time he's conflicted about the promise that he made to his to her dad and all this other kind of stuff. Just please grasp this, though. I I, I get what you're saying. The, but we haven't talked about any of the other stuff. Like, how does Electro become a villain? Like, y'all just want to focus on Emma and Andrew Garfield, and I get it. They're the shiny toy, and they work, and they're awesome in this movie. But the best they are, it's still lesser than what it could have been. And it does not, like, take away the stench of all of the crap that is around let's, them. Let's what powers does buildings. Electro have? Like, just yeah. give me that.
2: So... Electro Electro is such a conundrum for me because again, I love Jamie Foxx, one of my favorite actors of all time, going all the way back to In Living Color. I was so excited when he was cast in this role. And Electro is such a cool looking character, and it's a very interesting power. And it's one of those things where he's got a very Edward Nigma kind of angle where it's like you're this genius and you're sort of reclusive and you're not really good with the other humans. But now we give you all this power and you're suddenly manifesting all of it in this very dark and dangerous way. And those are the scenes, Roxy, for me, that, that just didn't really pay off the way I wanted it to. And I will give uh, 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 Christian Harloff uh, all due credit. He's the one that pointed out to me when we were reviewing this movie how ridiculously stupid every extra is in this movie because when there's a massive fight scene between an electrified villain and Spider-Man, they're all just standing behind a barricade like 10 feet away, just like, oh, this will be a fun fight to watch. It's like, no, you're in danger. Run as fast as you can the other way. What villains worked the best for you, Roxy Stryer?
3: So I want to preface this by letting you guys know that my favorite part of the prequels is Hayden Christensen. And I don't say that to... To, for a shock factor, I say that because for years and years after watching this movie, I have been confused with what you guys are all seeing. I feel like I live in a different planet. I live in a planet where Dane DeHaan is so talented yeah. and, and his goblin is so good. I live in a world where Electro works Fabulously. So I don't get what you guys are seeing. I live in a world where I feel so lucky that we had Rhino in this movie as like just an extra little T. There was, no, there was no part of the Rhino storyline that I, everybody freaked out. Why is Rhino even in this? How about we say, thank you so much, Rhino. Thank you so much, Paul, for dropping by. What a fun little nugget that was. It's bizarre to me that people say, this movie was fully loaded with villains and it didn't work, but then we love No Way Home? W- fully loaded with villains? Okay, okay. What, what are we talking either. about? we
0: knew why they were there. And they all made sense to be there. They literally said, hey, this is the premise of too many villains in the movie. This was too many villains and Harry met Sally and the mystery solving of the parents and a little like, you know, corporate science espionage just for good measure. Mm -hmm. And the prodigal son, like just how many stories are you going to put in here? Look, I get it, Roxy, but like, let me just say, I don't want to be too rough on this because I know some people love this movie and I do love that that Andrew Garfield has gotten the redemption because I agree with you and Mark 100%. The one thing the Amazing Spider-Man series gets correct is casting. I do not disagree with a single casting. Going back to Dennis Leary in the first one and Paul, uh, I forget who played Lizard in the first one, but everybody who is cast is great. They just didn't give them any kind of a coherent plot to portray these characters. Like it just, Paul Giamatti as Rhino was funny, but like so the idea that it was necessary is just, I'm sorry. Uh, Roxy, I, I will say this. I think you have mom goggles when it comes to this movie and <laughs> all Spider-Man movies to a certain degree. You know how like, Lucio backed back me up on this. As a mom, it's your little you, everything they do is precious and gorgeous and you will never see them anything less than the most amazing, talented person on the planet. Don't let anybody tell you any different unless it's about one of your other children who are equally as great. That's what moms are supposed to do. Mm. Roxy, you have mom goggles on this movie. Because right. girl, there are problems. I, I hear you.
3: And while I might have mom goggles, I want to keep them on. Because <laughs> I want to live in a world in which Electro's storyline breaks my heart. Watching somebody who wants to be seen That is his whole goal. He's dying to be seen. And he gets that across. And when we have that elevator ride with him and Gwen, and she remembers his name, and that to him is the biggest thing in the world— I'm sold on this character. I get the whole thing. When his face is being plastered on all the billboards and he's realizing he's making a a mess of things, but he can't help himself because his whole life, he has just been in the shadows and nobody's noticed him. When when Spider-Man, his idol, doesn't remember who he is after Mm. saying to him, I need your help, Come on, like this, this is one of the great Spider-Man villains that rips me to shreds to watch him go through this because they genuinely built up his story. They they spend time with him saying, here's why you should care about him, because he's all of us. He's all of us who have felt left out on the playground or like we weren't noticed or picked on or not seen who had a little bit of hope left but then on our worst day that hope turns to trash this was such a moving storyline that people for some reason have have forgotten about or say things like "It, it was just one of the villains and it was so not well done and he looked so stupid and what was with the gap in his teeth what are you guys paying attention to I'm thinking about this this poor guy this poor guy and
2: it was his birthday. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it does break my heart to a certain extent. And I think the the look of Electro is awesome. And I think that that's one of the reasons why fans who, even if you weren't necessarily as big of a fan of this movie as Roxy is, I think that there were so many people that were looking forward to the possible return of some of these characters in Spider-Man No Way Home. And so, like I said, we are going to talk about that movie in depth a little bit too. So I hope everybody listening has seen it. Um, Roxy, I love the point you made about why are people crapping on Amazing Spider-Man 2 having too many villains but not No Way Home? Because I do think that there's a lot of folks out there that were watching Spider-Man No Way Home with Jacqueline's mom goggles because I don't think that's a perfect movie. I have a lot of problems. I'm a, I'm a one-universe guy. I'm not a multiverse. I can have fun with an Into the Spider-Verse. It's animated. It feels fun. It feels light. This, it, it felt like, it, it, the multiverse to me feels like an excuse To get a lot of just former villains and highlights of previous Spider-Man movies into a movie together. Having said that, I had a lot of fun with it. And I will say, it was great seeing Jamie Foxx again. It was great seeing Lizard again, Reese Siphons. It was great seeing Andrew Garfield, who I think there's an argument to be made, is the best Spider-Man of them all. So, Jack, I'll start with you, then I'll pivot back to Roxy. What were the parts of No Way Home that referenced Amazing Spider-Man 2 that worked for you, if there were any?
0: I think the best, and this is maybe a little bit on the nose, was when Toby turns to Andrew and says, you're a good Spider-Man. Like, I've seen... like You're, you're an amazing, amazing good, Spider-Man. You're an amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. I don't want to screw up the line. <laughs> I think... I've seen a few movies now between Ghostbusters and Amazing uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and the new Scream movie, not to give anything away, where the writers are very plainly voicing the feelings of audiences in clever, meta, sometimes very... Matrix is another example of this, where they are literally just putting the audience... they're, They're just taking Reddit boards and putting it in a script. And for the most part, I have very little patience for it. But that moment did not feel as cheesy and as forced as I think it could have been if it was handled by lesser actors in a lesser stakes moment. And so as stupid as that was, it really made me, I I liked that a lot. And I really liked when both Toby and Andrew, but particularly Andrew, because he lost the most, told Tom Holland's Peter Parker, listen, we've been through the bad side of this and you're going to learn lessons that we had to learn the hard way. If you don't learn them on your own, the easier way. And I really loved those big brother moments. Uh, and anytime they put Andrew Garfield in a lab coat, that was great.
2: Yeah, Roxy, I I was late to seeing this movie. And so I I was pretty good at avoiding spoilers. And I appreciate people like you who saw the movie early on and didn't give anything away, didn't ruin anything. But uh, the, the theme that I saw through a lot of Twitter was how surprisingly emotional this movie was. And so in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, this is probably just some nice moments between Peter and MJ. But no, it was between Peter and the other Peter. And the other Peter and watching those three, I mean, I thought that that Garfield and Maguire might come in and make a cameo and then the rest would just be them voiceover doing Spider-Man stunts. But no, they're like in the movie. Mm -hmm. They're like actors in the movie. How rewarding as a lifelong Spider-Man fan was that for you to see?
3: Incredible. I thought the same as you, Mark. I thought that they were going to pop in. It was going to be a really cute moment. The audience was going to cheer and then they were going to leave. But they are in a full act, an act and a half of this movie. This is like a, a dream of mine and of a lot of Spider-Man fans. And I don't say that this movie was fully loaded to to crap on it. I loved Spider-Man No Way Home. I just think that it's unfair that this gets so much love and some of the other movies don't. But for me... Going back to the moments that really worked that referenced Amazing Spider-Man too, when when finally Andrew Garfield, when his Peter catches MJ. Yes. Come on. I mean, if you haven't been waiting for that moment, especially after talking about what you just talked about, Mark, that sound that's ingrained in our heads of her skull cracking on the ground and her body going limp. And when he catches MJ, we feel that redemption. We feel that moment of, oh, my gosh, this is what he's needed to move forward. It's really cool. And the other moment that really got me is when he says, Peter three. Because I felt like that since I've seen this movie, he is—he's always the third. It, when people are like, "What's the best Spider-Man movies?" and they're like, "Well, the Raimi ones are the best." Oh no, I, I love the Tom Holland ones. Uh, listen, I love every Spider-Man movie that's ever existed. I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna say anything bad about a Spider-Man movie. But Peter Three, there he is again, Peter Three, and you just feel for Andrew Garfield, who is a beautiful actor, a brilliant performer, who is always touted as Peter Three.
2: <laughs> I. I closed my eyes when MJ was falling and Garfield went and Garfield's went to go catch her because I'm like, I just, if I hear this sound effect, I'm leaving the theater. I closed my eyes and so I didn't, and I didn't hear anything like that. And I was, and I opened my eyes. I was like, oh, good. She survived. It was a nice redemption moment. I will agree with you there. I, I wanted. It, with the villains in No Way Home, I still felt a little bit like the villains in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where I think it would have been cooler to focus on one or the other because there was at Roxy, as you said, there's so much there with Max and it becoming Electro in that storyline. That's that that's its own movie. There's so much with the relationship between Harry and Peter. That could be its own movie. And then we have angry Paul Giamatti, who, again, I can't stress this enough. Rhino is like he might be the most angry character I've ever seen in any movie ever. He is so upset particularly when he's behind the wheel of a huge truck. But it was the same thing in No Way Home, where once again, Jamie Foxx is back and he's great as Electro, but it, I, I didn't get to sink my teeth into that character at all. And so I was a little bummed about that. Like, I I get it's a multiverse. We're opening up and everybody's there for a quick hello and goodbye. But I wanted to see more. I still don't feel like Electro has gotten the justice that that he deserves if that makes sense
3: it was nice when he kind of just looked like normal jamie fox though and there's the one line like oh you your looks changed i think that was just a, a nice little moment for the audience be, who has been ripping apart the teeth and the hair for so long i was glad for jamie fox that he yeah. got to be electro looking like jamie fox for one minute so even if it was just that because i agree with you mark i, I would like an even more fleshed out version of him but even for just that moment where he gets to be like See, I'm just a normal... I'm just a villain, man. Can you stop making fun of the teeth? (laughs) That wasn't my call. I'm just here. So let me me do my villainy thing. Good enough for me.
2: Uh, Last take on Amazing Spider-Man 2 before we move on to some behind-the-scenes stuff. And in that behind-the-scenes talk, I am going to ask y'all who your favorite Spider-Man of all time is. So just be prepared for that. Um, Any other scenes that we need to get to in your estimation, Jacqueline Coley?
0: I think that's good for the scenes on The Amazing Spider-Man, other than, you know, why is Aunt May a nurse? Do we, we ever answer that too? Like, there's just so many, why, like there's just Because she's gotta so put many. him through school. She's gotta, put, she's gotta pay it's for everything. It's because Sally Fields is an Oscar-winning actress and they needed to give her more
2: to do. Mm. God, but you that, talk about, I mean, cool. I, know, I know we debate the best Spider-Man of all time. There's really some good arguments to who's the best Aunt May of all time, because they're all great. They are all Mm. fantastic. Very true, very true. More on that in just a sec as we transition to behind the scenes. At the time, I don't know if it still holds this record. I imagine it's got an outside shot of doing it. This was the largest production ever to shoot in New York City, which is saying something. And when you watch the movie, I mean, you see... All these elaborate setups of Times Square, and it's a great New York feeling movie. I think something like, it's like 3,500 extras or something like that total. And again, a lot of those extras act like complete morons in the actual movie. It, kids, if you're listening to this show and you see two superheroes, super villains fighting each other in the street, do not watch. Do not get your cell phone out and film, run the other way because there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. I cannot stress that enough. Now we also have rumors that now we have all these villains back. Are we going to get a Sinister Six movie? What's the spinoff movie, Roxy? What would be the next iteration of a Spider Man movie or like a spinoff Spider Man character movie that you really want to see? Is it another Venom? I know you're a fan of that franchise as well. Do you want to see? Do you want to see Gwen Stacy get her own backstory? What do you want to see next out of a Spider Man flick?
3: Ooh, gosh, all of that sounds good. But like most people, I. I'm in the camp that it's definitely time for a Miles Morales live-action movie. That would Mm -hmm. be so freaking fun. And there's so many mentors that he could have now if we want to bring Peter into that universe. There's just so many of them. There's this amazing moment in Amazing Spider-Man 2, actually, where there's a a little Spider-Man that comes out, right? And I was just thinking, how cool would that have been if, when he takes off his mask, he's like a, a little Miles Morales, and then later on we bring him back, and that, but, but that's not what ended up happening there. But some kind of a mentor mentee m- movie between the two Spideys would be uh, incredible.
2: Okay, Jack, are you buying a ticket to that movie?
0: Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, I'm definitely buying a ticket to it. I was just thinking a little bit more about Sony. What's really interesting about this movie? i'm a little bit scared so like into the spider-verse was great i want to see what they do with the next one but sony before kevin feige got on board with this very last effort are not the greatest on landing the plane sometimes
2: so i really worry is that a shot at spider-man's parents
0: <laughs> there you go that's funny in this version yes um but i just I'm a little bit worried. Like, um, it seems like they're going to keep making movies together, but Miles Morales is not part of the MCU. And let's be honest, outside of Sam Raimi, where they couldn't land the plane, and Amazing Spider-Man, where they couldn't land the plane, are we going to call Venom landing the plane? Like, I don't know. uh, Basically, I'm saying I'm looking forward to Miles Morales if it's in the right hands.
2: If it's in the right hand. So we we have these and really the next movie we're getting in in any Spider-Man lineage would be that Morbius movie with Jared Leto. I saw the trailer for that when I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm in, man. I am in on that. I do not know why, but I love the look. I love the the vampirical aspect of Morbius as a character. I think Jared Leto, the one thing you can't say, you know, he's going to literally sink his teeth into this role. The hint that we get a vulture, maybe that becomes Sinister Six. I'm excited for Morbius. You can call me crazy. I think it's going to be awesome. Anybody with me?
0: I'm with you on that. Also, I love how Morbius probably happened because of how angry Jared Leto and Jared Leto's agents were about Joaquin Phoenix winning an Oscar for the Joker. That is absolutely like, he's like, you think you can do superheroes better than I can, That
3: That is an absolute hold my beer moment. You are completely right about that. <laughs> the, the trailer did get me very excited. But what I'm really hoping, because now this has been pushed to April Fool's Day for its release, I really hope that this movie doesn't exist that this has been like a big joke that they are about to play on all of us that for years this has been no. getting pushed back and we've seen footage and you get to the theater and it just says April Fool's. Please, please do that instead. That's that the move. I mean, they could. would be
2: so much fun to just watch social media burn that yeah. day. It would be so great to be like, hey, hey, you're going to see more of this? No spoilers, and then everybody goes to see it, and it's just like, see you later. Yes, <laughs> I'm it's in. so All right.
0: it's such a bad thing to do, but honestly, I'd
2: be excited to see it as well. <laughs> we do have a debate that is age old that is not necessarily going to be settled here today, but everybody always wants to know. I even got to do a versus episode on this who is the best Spider Man. And as it happens with most of my Versus episodes, I really enjoyed writing it. I enjoyed performing it. I cannot remember who I picked. Is it Toby Maguire? Is it Andrew Garfield? Or is it Tom Holland? Who is the best Spider-Man live action of them all? Um, it, it, if you want to go Miles Morales with, uh, into the Spider-Verse, totally co-sign that. That's my favorite Spider-Man movie of all time. But my favorite Spider-Man Man, Andrew Garfield's up there. And it's not just because he's so good as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. It's because of how much he loves the character. When he was at Comic-Con one year, he dressed up as Spider-Man and nobody knew it was him. And then he took it. Then he took the mask off and it was Andrew Garfield. That was such a cool Comic-Con Hall H moment. Roxy Stryer, who is the best Spider-Man of them all? Is it our guy, Andrew Garfield?
3: The, all three of the main live action Spider-Man have been amazing. So no, no knock on any of them. But when I think of the le- best live action Spider-Man, if, if I'm including Peter Parker in that, so like you're the best at the whole role, I think the one who is the best at the, at the, the duality of both Peter Parker and Spider-Man is
0: Andrew Garfield.
2: The duality of Spider-Man goes to Andrew Garfield. How about Jack Colley?
0: Okay, so the best Spider-Man ever is Spider-Pig voiced by John Mulaney <laughs> with a very close runner-up for Spider-Pig Noir, which is voiced yes. by Nicolas Cage. Those two are the best Spider-People, period. Yeah, I'm Sorry. With you. Sorry. Um, Toby Maguire had the best Spider-Man at the box office, meaning he made Spider-Man a movie event. Mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield is the best actor we've ever had play Spider-Man. And so therefore played him the best on screen. And Peter Parker is the best Spider-Man that had stories that supported him as Spider-Man. Who, wait,
2: wait. You mean Tom Holland? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Said I say Peter, Peter Parker? Parker?
0: Yeah, I said Peter Parker. Tom Holland has the best he's Spider-Man. So good.
3: Good I know how Parker. in it he is. He <laughs> is, That's how
0: it is But he's had the best story. He had the best performance. And then for had the best like sort of box office movie so for whatever it is in a certain respect tom holland got stacked up really well and then pulled it off andrew garfield made they made lemonades out of lemon um and it would be so interesting to see if one they could have cast him just a couple years earlier (laughs) and Mm. if he would have been able to have the mcu type run that tom holland did just like what amazing things could be a part of it. Not that I don't want Tom Holland there. Yeah, but who's the best? Who do you think's the best? I am th- I don't think it's equal to say, because oh. yeah, okay, in a certain respect, Tom Holland had a better Spider-Man run altogether all through it, but he also got the benefit of stacking on top of it 10 years of MCU. Cheater, yeah. like, cheater, lemon eater.
2: It, it, I, I mean, exactly. literally, how are you
0: gonna judge that? Like, that's I, the other reason why- I think time um,
2: between Toby and Andrew. Oh, really? Nah, I not thought you were
0: to say Tom. It, nah, it's 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 the three of them are hard to judge because they were on separate things. It's the thing you talked about, Spider-Man No Way Home. Why do people not feel like that one is overfilmed? Because they got to do a shortcut through the MCU. And they got to take all of that MCU and the Sam Raby Spider-Man's knowledge. They actually were able to put them together in a big mountain of poop. And he just stood <laughs> on top of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, look. Again, I really liked No Way Home, but I, I can't stand superheroes being morons, especially Doctor Strange and Spider-Man fighting each other. And then Spider-Man... Leaving Doctor Strange in some weird multiverse hung up with the. This guy's a superhero. This guy helped save the universe with you, okay? And Aunt May, are you kidding me? With everybody's get a second chance. These are horrible human beings that you're trying to save. And we're saving five people despite thousands of cops and innocent bystanders in this world who just died, but we don't care about that. Anyway, that's a whole different subject for another day. Um, last thing for Jacqueline. Is Andrew Garfield going to win the Oscar for uh, Tick Tick Boom?
0: I think so. I mean, right now we've got Denzel, we got Will, we got Benedict Cumberbatch, we got Andrew Garfield. You got somebody like Simon Rex, even a little Nicholas Cage in the mix there. But hey. right now, I think it's going to be Andrew Garfield because I think Andrew Garfield has won the best story, and two, it's just he's peaking right at the right time. Which, um, if you're in my business, it's not about who's best. That's not what the Oscars pick. It's about who has the best story at the right time with the right movie and the right actor. And Andrew Garfield, people are going to keep playing his uh, famous speech from the social network and be still livid that he didn't win even a nomination for that. And that's going to just help him just ride the train right to the Oscar dais so. It doesn't hurt yeah. he's getting
2: all this love for being Spider-Man. Exactly. This is like the opposite of Eddie Murphy being in Norbit. A week before dream girls came out yes. you know it's it, yes. it just feels like everything is sort of setting itself up like that roxy final question for you just because i know you're such a spider-man hawk who's your favorite spider-man villain that we've ever seen on screen like live action favorite spider-man villain of all time
3: whoa
2: i know uh your team's in the playoffs so i like to torture both of y'all th- with really this tough is questions.
3: really really hard um trying to think of Jake Gyllenhaal did a really good job recently, too,
0: but the <laughs> goblins
3: are really good, too. Um, I'm, I'm defundle, excited for maybe. that Michael Bay,
2: Jake Gyllenhaal movie. I also saw a trailer for that when I saw No Way Home. It's called Ambulance. ambulance? But yeah. gets this. It takes place in L.A., so in the word ambulance, L.A. is red and everything else is white. And I'm like, did you name the movie Ambulance just because the letters L.A. are together? Come on, Michael Bay. Anyway, Roxy, back to you. uh,
3: If I get to be Jacqueline for a second here, um, all of them, I would say probably somewhere around all of them. um, Yeah, they're all really, really good. Shade
0: is knee-deep. Shade is knee-deep, but I deserved it. Excellent.
2: They're all (laughs) great. It's like me asking Roxy which one of her favorite Super Bowls that the Patriots won is, you know, they're all just Maybe all of them,
3: all the Super Bowls. Their own.
2: Unique really way. Well, then I'm going to answer for her and I'm going to say Roxy's favorite villain of all time. Duh, it's Rhino. All right, let's move on to Mailbag. <music> you heard it here first. Roxy loves Russian Paul Giamatti. All right, let's go to a email from our esteemed Ketchup Crew member, Greg Sutherland. Y'all can be like Greg and you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Dot com. We love hearing your thoughts on the show, what you like, what you want us to talk about in the future. And Greg's email follows. Started listening to your podcast the other week and loving it, especially all the MCU episodes. Well, here you go, Greg. First one I listened to was your episode on The Mummy, as I am one of the generation that you discussed in regards to it being their Indiana Jones. When listening, I never realized it was the same director who directed Van Helsing. Is Van Helsing perfect? No, but I do honestly feel there is so much to discuss. It's action sequences, plot, and mishmash of mythology and pop culture really creates a monster of a monster movie. I think it's got so many different undertones that have gothic fiction, vampire media, particular shout out to Dracula's Brides in this film. It is the definitive blockbuster of the 2000s for Greg and worthy of some discussion. Happy New Year. Uh, What do we think about Van Helsing? I don't, think I've, I don't think I've seen Van Helsing.
0: Ah, uh, you should, um, if nothing else, because it gives you the beauty and glory of a Kate Beckinsale yes. cloud ghost. Cloud ghost Kate Beckinsale, which is a feat that only that movie could achieve. I'm with you on Van Helsing. There's a lot to discuss. I would say I would want to discuss the, what is it called? Dracula Immortal? The one that starred- Dracula oh, God, Untold? Wait. Untold Dracula, untold. That's exactly what it is. And it has, um,
2: Luke Evans, Charles
0: Dance, and yeah, Luke Evans, who played Gascon. That one I would say I want to discuss before Van Helsing because they both kind of live in that like action mythology, trying to keep Mm -hmm. as much to the old Bram Stoker's Dracula by why adding a whole bunch of modern stuff that just makes it weird. So, one of those two. It could be a double episode. Hey.
2: Roxy, you uh you a big vampire gal? I know your world girl cohort Steph Sabra is a huge Twilight mm-hmm. person. I've still Are never you... seen
3: it. I've still never seen Twilight. But you How? know I'm the T V girl, so I did a I'm a big Vampire Diaries, originals. Like, I talk to mm. me about the, the vamps on the TV show. Throwback to Port Charles, uh, which was an amazing, amazing soap opera that did a whole season. And they opened every episode with tainted love. It was so good. They started the whole Vampire craze back. They don't get enough credit. It's a really good show. Thank you to my okay. ABC
2: soaps. Port Charles. I will have to look at that. And maybe, Greg, we will take you up and do Van Helsing one day, because I think that that movie took the exact same shot of, was it Kate Beckinsale did some sort of cool stunt in Underworld, and then they basically did the same exact thing with Van Helsing. Oh, yeah, it was shooting the door. As your are following, I don't know, it's a really cool stunt. Then Mythbusters tried it and it didn't work out so well. Anyway, Van Helsing, we will put that on the burner for 2022, courtesy of producer Lucy. Um, this has been such a fun episode, and it's been so enjoyable to have Jacqueline, who maybe isn't the biggest Amazing Spider-Man 2 fan, and Roxy, who is a huge supporter of it. I love these kind of conversations because it proves we can all be civil with each other, even as we disagree about something as vitally important as Spider-Man movies, Roxy, thank you so much. I know you have a huge year coming up. I am so excited to enjoy it with you. What are you most excited about for 2022? And where can all the kids out there find you?
3: The World Girls. Look, it's on my mug. The World Girls is the thing I'm most excited about. We're live every Wednesday and Sunday. YouTube.com/slash/TheWorldGirls at Girls. And this this month, uh, Mark, you'll be happy to hear this. I am fine. I think I'm finally gonna get on on the dating apps, guys. I've never been on one of them, so I'm giving it a whirl. People are gonna come help me, like find which pictures to do. I am ho- I am helpless and hopeless in this area, so I need everybody's help and support. Uh, and that should be a fun journey to go on. And also every day live at the Roxy. If you need somebody to hang out with and a friend, I'll be your friend.
2: If you need a uh, if you need a recommendation for Raya, I'm your guy. I've uh... I bet I, I have it on the phone, and um, I check it maybe once every six months. And um, yeah, I don't know which
3: one to even get on. I have to go yeah. down a whole deep dive. But this is the year, Mark.
0: This is my year.
2: Jack, on any advice for Roxy?
0: I, none. Absolutely none. Uh, <laughs> I, the best relationship I have is with my dog. I'm just kidding. That's not. True. <laughs> I don't even um, have a dog. But I will say this: I'm a firm believer in it's private till it's permanent. But. I don't. I'm not out there. That's all I will say. And I mm. okay. give it up for anybody who is out there right now because it is. Thank you it so much. Dark it and
3: the
2: world is full of f boys.
0: <laughs> I've
3: encountered so, many. I've encountered many. Sis, you know, one I, of them is hosting
2: this show. So <laughs> thank you for. Checking out this episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Talking about the amazing Spider-Man 2 with our very special no. guest, Roxy Stryer. You can follow her at Roxy Stryer and check out the World Girls Live every Wednesday and Sunday, as well as her own show, Live at the Roxy, just about every damn day. It's the hardest working person in showbiz, and I'm thrilled that she was able to stop by our little show. Roxy, do you have a movie or TV recommendation? I guess Port Charles can kind of count if you if you just want to make Port Charles your official recommendation to That's close really the show one. out with.
3: It's really good, but I, I think the show that I really wowed me is the final season of Search Party. Y'all know
2: about Search Party? I've heard, heard about it. I have no idea what it is. All right. I'm
3: Search an arrested development fan.
0: I will yeah. watch anything that maybe is in. That's oh, me too. Man. And me yes. so so
3: true, so same. But Search Party is a show that is now on HBO Max. It had a whole weird journey to get there, but it is in its fifth season and it it changed genres every season. It was like a murder mystery show, and now it's turned into an apocalypse show, and I can't believe that this is how they did it, but it's a a really great look into millennial culture and the downfalls of millennial culture, and it's hysterical and dark, and I can't recommend it enough, Search Party. And now it's all out, so you can binge the whole thing. I know we like to do that here.
2: Binge it away, search party, and I will give a shout out to Port Charles one more time. Once again, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. However you're listening to this podcast, we appreciate it. Subscribe, rate, review, whatever that app likes you to do. Go ahead and do that because it just makes Jacqueline and I feel all warm and cozy. Jacqueline, next week, big, big show because we're going back to, in my mind, the greatest franchise of them all. What is it?
0: How do you uh, a galaxy far far away? Yes, we're going to Star Wars um, To a film that I saw in a very strange setting uh, Because I actually saw this one at a film festival and you will be so surprised to hear which one But yeah, we're gonna do solo a Star Wars story if you know where that film premiered You know, we're about to get a great adventures of Jacqueline and film festivals.
2: I have no idea, and I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan. I have no idea where you saw it, so I can't wait to have that conversation with you and our special guest that week, which I believe is going to... Can I say it, Lucy? I think it's going to be uh, Ken Napsack, returning champion, oh, talking to us about... Uh, Solo a Star Wars story. So, for everyone here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, our incredible engineer, Brian Perez, producer, Lucy, our very special guest, Roxy Stryer. Good luck with your Patriots in the playoffs. Jacqueline, good luck with your Packers in the playoffs. And as for me, I'm merely Mark Ellison. my team gets a new nickname February 2nd. Will it be the Groundhogs? Will we see our shadow? All that and more next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong.